0: We need a whole education piece on on this, on making black businesses understand what type of business are you actually building, and that's something a lot of our white counterparts know exactly what because they know they know the game a bit more than us. They've been educated maybe by family members or friends or networks that we're still also still trying to figure out. So, am I trying to build a legacy business in the sense that I'm not trying to sell this business, I'm passing it on to generations ahead of me, or am I trying to exit? through a sale, through an IPO. A VC-backable business is not one for a legacy business. What we find is a lot of Black businesses are actually legacy businesses, which are not bad things, by the way. Mm. It just takes a different type of funding. Now, quickly, before we get into this
1: episode, a quick word from our sponsor. Us. Or in other words, 1000Visuals, the production company behind 1000Voices. With 1000 Voices, I was looking for a studio that had that high-quality cinematic and homely feel to it, but I just couldn't find anywhere. So we decided to open up our own space. We've got four high-quality cinema cameras. We've got shotgun mics, not those podcasting mics that cover half your face as well, so people can see you when you're speaking to them. And we've got some basic amenities as well. Water, herbal teas, espressos, you name it we'd love to invite you to come down to our space to create some content with us. If you are interested, check the link in the description and I'd love to take you on a tour of this space and invite you to come record some stuff with us. Thank you. Now let's get back to the episode. So from the inception of you and your entrepreneurial journey mm-hmm. to founding Denio Group, and I know there's loads of things in between mm-hmm. that you've gone probably gone through a million mm-hmm. ups and million downs throughout mm-hmm. the entire journey. But what I'd like to understand is that you've scaled what, seven figures. Yeah. Yep, and you've got over a thousand clients. Yeah. Yeah. So you've you scaled, bootstrapped as well.
0: Completely bootstrapped. Amazing. <laughs> Painfully bootstrapped. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, has there been a particular standout moment through so far in your entrepreneurial journey?
0: Well, I think I go through standout moments at least every two years, um, but um, if I was to I, I don't know, I feel like this there's been so there's so many moments that but if I was to stop and to reflect on my first standout moment was back in twenty twenty. Um I was going to kinda of run this event, um, which is now actually rebranding, that event is now rebranding into NeoFest in another level in Birmingham to essentially get as many black women to come into this place to network, connect, build, build, connect with industry professionals and investors. And, um, I had all the sponsorship, um, or sponsors kind of commit verbally. At that point I was so excited and passionate, (laughs) um, but, um, and so I'm not going to name some of those um, sponsors. Um, and in fact, I got into a really good relationship where I was able to text some managing directors. And I just like a lot of the sponsors just essentially ghosted me when it came to like understanding where the money was. So that moment made me realise the importance of of legals. And then, you know, I was literally shaking because... Literally, probably a few days before the event, I didn't know how I was going to pay the venue. Didn't know how, to, but like it was probably one of the best events that had happened to Birmingham, the Birmingham, you know, female tech scene. Um, people still come up to me today to tell me about what happened there, and so I lost a lot of. I was doing my, my master's degree at that time, so I was a broke master student. <laughs> <laughs> I had no no money to my name. I, I wasn't doing a, any job at the time. I was focused just on my masters and and this event and um i went into a lot of personal debt just just to make this event a fruition and um straight after that because of how successful and how like you know how much that that event was a catalyst in the city it unlocked my first six figure contract um and so 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 when you're going down this journey of entrepreneurship you almost have to build resilience um or else like I could have literally decided that, like, you know what, this does not make any sense. Let me just quit this after it's just put me into debt. But I decided that I was going to be crazy enough to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually the craziness has paid off so far, not just on the financials, but also in the impact that mm. we have made in the lives of people. Um, changing people's lives genuinely because we have upskilled them and they now work at. Big corporates um and you know some of them would literally message me and say, "Hey, I've never seen this amount of money in my bank before. It's the first paycheck. Thank you so much. You changed my life, and oh, wow, that impact is on like like is money can't buy that you know um and so so that's why I said there's so many moments, yeah. Um, that makes it worthwhile, but it's very painful. It's a very painful journey for sure.
1: <laughs> just off that opening answer, I've yeah. got like three different questions that have come to mind. Yeah. Before I even delve into any of that, mm-hmm. for people, just to set a bit of context, yeah. the NIO group. Can you explain what it is and yeah. also how it came about?
0: Absolutely. <clears throat> NIO group um, is what I it, NIO group is a group of consumer tech businesses that looks to build um, essentially. Businesses that disrupt mediocre industries. Okay, um, and the way it came about was because I was accident. I accidentally fell into braiding my sister's hair when I moved from Nigeria to the UK, and from that point, I, I gathered a clientele of over a thousand thousand women in the Midlands, and I was doing a lot of their hair. And whilst I was doing their hair, a lot of the women in my chair that would sit down would literally. Because we're spending like seven hours <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> probably, you know, chatting whilst you're, they're getting their hair done. I was doing this as a side gig whilst studying at university or whatever. And a lot of these people ask me for life advice. We just get talking. And I found myself becoming not just a hairdresser, but a life coach and also a career coach and also a business coach. So like I was like, do you know what? Everyone needs to leave me alone at this point. Just come and do your hair. And to be honest, I am not trying to pursue being a hairdresser. I am trying to pursue to be, pursue the career of an economist. So I said, you know, I am going to just set up an event where you are all going to come to, and you are going to leave me alone.
1: This is you come and get your advice once <laughs> and for all. Exactly,
0: yeah. that was yeah. a plan. That was the original plan. So I set up the first event, and I did it in Nottingham because I was going to university in Nottingham. And you know, um, the first one 80 women turned up, I built a whole journal, literally with the framework that I would just continue to talk about. But still people kept coming back. they were like, oh my gosh, that was a great event. Let's do it again. So in the first event as well, I invested my own money. So this is when I started to learn about investment. It wasn't really an investment. I, I was thinking, I wonder what it's what it'll be like to invest. In a business, like and have ownership, and I like I tried to work things out in my own way at the time with very little knowledge, um, and it it didn't work. So I was like, you know, let's just give away the money. At least you're still impacting. So I I gave two hundred pounds of my my student loan to one (laughs) to one female founder, um, at that event, and she was building a um, it was almost kind of like a a um food, like a leftover food. Um, cooking apps. So if you have leftover food, what can you what can you make in your in your home? So I gave away that. That was the first event. We got lots of in kind sponsorships by a lot of beauty brands because at the time it was just like you are more than your hair. The event was called Beyond Hair. Second, they were like we must do this again. We did it again. Then my university heard about it and they decided that they were gonna put pay for the venue. You know this beautiful intimate venue in Nottingham, and um we ran run it again and then i invested an, another amount of my money i think was it this time it was 500 pounds of oh, my wow. money i think i took some of the so my university said they were going to fund the 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 venue but they were also going to maybe contribute towards it. i think i took some of the money out of that to contribute towards the 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 grant yeah. the second time i we i the money was put into a girl who was building a skincare subscription box to get like up and coming um, skincare brands to get noticed. Um, And actually that skincare subscription box, um, there was a brand, I can't remember the name that was coming into the market and she started that subscription and then they blew up the UK market subsequently Mm. after that. Um, So it was, it was all about how do we empower women and to think beyond their hair Now that's got me to that third, after that second event, got me to the third event. Um, I'm a Christian. So every time I I think about what I'm going to do, I'm like, okay, what? Like how, like I need to be inspired. So I I pray about it. And so I I had, I prayed and I was like, what do I, what do we do this time? And I, at the same time, I was also doing my master's and I was studying about economic empowerment, researching about, you know, how do we economically empower a nation? Mm -hmm. Nations, first of all, how do we economically empower its people? And then I realised how there was so much disparity between the economic empowerment of men versus women, number one, and if you boil it down to migrant communities, and then actually the jobs that the women were in were going to be automated according to the World Economic Forum at that point. So I was like, ah, the solution is get the women to build a the technology then since that they're going to... So mm. that event was, a, was focused on how can technology merge into um creativity here and beating entrepreneurship. So I ran a coding class at that event. Um, and, and so that's Did you have of, a tech backgr- background at no, that point? I'm an economist. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a techie. Um, I've learned to be one, but I'm not one naturally I don't have a background in in, in technology. Um, and yeah, so I ran a coding class um in that in that event. And that coding class was what secured us our first six-figure contract to then run boot camps for black women. The rest is history. So now Neo Group um, has evolved into this, still operating in the education sector and also the beauty sector. The education sector really running education programs and boot camps to essentially get black women to get into tech. Um, and we're essentially wanting to, we're, we're scaling that in, over this this year globally to essentially enable as many underrepresented people as possible to go from zero to C-suite via this platform. So you can actually upskill and get a job via this platform and we're beta testing it right now. Um, the beauty business, obviously I started doing hair in my room. I trained a lot of stylists because I couldn't handle it, selling to a lot of problems. I started building this like MVP for like an Uber for, for hairdressers. The pandemic hit, and it was all a waste. <laughs> it came to shambles because I just built this stuff and um and I knew that I always knew that I wanted to build like a C I always say I want to build a Syrian Uber for for hair. And um so I I then um I, I, I saw so like, what we're we gonna do. So we decided, you know, we're gonna keep training, we're gonna keep training the stylist and we're going to do some e commerce stuff. So like to, just to empower our current customers. Um, now during that process, obviously the education business was coming to up nascency. We then began to actually look at how we were revolutionizing the hair and beauty sector mm. with training because not meant like the, the black hair industry doesn't have good standard like education when mm. it comes to the standard practice. So we started that and then, um, we're still on a journey of building that Uber, Syrian Uber for hair, which is why we have like the first AI and AI powered salon in the world for textured hair.
1: That's an amazing journey. Thank you. again, a few things come to mind after you're talking there as yeah. well. One thing you're talking about um the development side of things. Yeah. Have you read do you know a book called Development is Freedom?
0: No, I'm, no, I haven't. It's really
1: good. It's written in the nineties, literally. Mm-hmm. So it's an old book, but it's the best book I've ever read wow. on economic development. Mm. It's even on the bookshelf behind me, I think. Okay. But um, I can recommend it. It's so good, the mm-hmm. best book I've ever read in development, and mm-hmm. it goes into a lot of stuff it talks about. Then it's mm-hmm. still pertinent till today. Uh, on the and also, I like what I like about your journey is the fact that you've identified a problem, mm-hmm. and even though you're not the subject matter expert, there you've mm-hmm. Gone about making it work, mm-hmm. and through that tenacity, mm-hmm. through identifying a problem and then providing a viable solution to mm-hmm. it, he was mm-hmm. able to secure a six-figure contract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you? Are you able to say how much? The, <laughs> from the six, like what the revenues oh, I'm are now, get a lot of people could just, me now? Could we just say seven <laughs> figures? <so.
0: laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was a quarter of a million, um, at the time, um, and that tends to multi-year multi-year contract after that point. Yeah.
1: How did that happen? Did Is it, uh, was it a situation where the right person saw what you was doing or was it a sort of maybe you knew someone then reached out to them and then told them, this is what we're doing. And
0: mm-hmm. yeah. So it was a mixture of a few things. So um, one of the, one of the, one of the ways that that happened was at that time I was building the Uber for hair simultaneously. Right. Um, and I, I, um, there was something called the Festival of Enterprise, big, massive festival in Birmingham, in NEC, equivalent to the XL, XL London. Um, and I was pitching and I and I basically shared my vision that I want to build this Uber for hair and I want it to be built by black women. Blah, blah, blah. I was so naive. I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I want to be able to, with everything in this ecosystem is going to be built. I wish I could find the video. Oh, my gosh. In fact, I'm going to find that video.
1: Um, if you can, I'll see if I can lay it on top. Yes, that would be great.
0: <laughs> um, and I was like so passionate. And like, I, it's also, people say that I was one of the, like people told me that your pitch was one of the best pitches, blah, blah, blah. And then somebody picked it up, picked up the pitch and s- found my email and just, it was just been emailing me. I just kept ignoring them because I thought how weird is this person. <laughs> I was like, who is this we- uh, like weird person? And it's, it, they didn't introduce themselves. They were just sharing resources with me. Mm. Um, and this person also happened to find out about this the summit, right And so we um, <laughs> I, then he sent me this and he was like you, are you, you you have been ignoring me, but this is something you need to be part of. So anyway, I opened up the the up the, the, what's the word the, um, the email and I and, and it was part of the the digital skills pilots in the UK. So you might've heard of, um, school of code. They were the first ever coding bootcamp that was pioneered by the government at the time. And then five other, other suppliers, we were one of the first after school of code. Um, and so we applied and literally like we, we got it. Um, we got it because of the impact that we already were making on ground. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Um, it was, that was kind of how it went. Things have obviously evolved over time since then, but that has literally helped us like to pioneer from where we are today to, um, from where we were, sorry, to where we are today. Um, and it's gotten us to kind of secure multiple other corporate partners. So we've got partners like Goldman Sachs, KPMG, HSBC, different, different types of organizations like that. Um and I've learned so much about navigating those different corporate spaces um when it comes to engaging with them. So so yes, that's um where we're where we're at. Um now not everybody's gonna be able to go on this journey of going to secure this six-figure contract straight off the bat. It takes mm. a lot of tenacity. In mm. fact, I still have to be so tenacious today. I have to build relationships for such a long time. And so if you don't have grit in the game it's going to be it is a tough one um and so that's what i like to say to to people who want to want to play in that kind of high ticket game
1: what so what started to sing off for you like what it seems like literally started you off on this entrepreneurial journey was when you're doing hair. Yes. And the women were speaking to you about their problems. Yes. What do you think it was about you? Because you were young then. You're a university yes, student. Yes,
0: I was young, yeah. What, what, what do you think it was
1: about you that made them open up to you like that?
0: What I did tell you is that I started doing hair at the age of 12.
1: Oh my gosh. Don't <laughs> tell me you're 12 years old and they'll tell me you're
0: I wasn't 12 old. at university. No. Of course not. <laughs> but what I didn't tell you was I started doing hair at the age of 12 when I first moved from Nigeria to the UK. Um, And I would never tell anyone my age, Um, but I would always present myself as a lot more mature than I was. Um, And um, people would think I was like, when I was 16, people would think I was 32. Because when I would go to their homes, I wouldn't just come looking like a teenager, I would actually come dressed in uniform. Like the like, I will come dressed with a kit. <laughs> like mm. I, I presented myself as somebody that should be respectable, right? In in that and like, when people ask me for advice, I will be able to give them advice. So I guess it was probably like a natural gift to be able to he- listen to people, hear people, and to just have innovative ideas. Now, I've always, I've, aside from the hair stuff and the, me doing hair, although it's connected, but Although it's not connected, there's a level of connection of how I was able to translate my, I was doing a lot of social activism as well. Mm. Those, those skills from lobbying and social activism and using those persuasive skills, whether I was trying, I wasn't even intentionally doing it in, on the, on the chair, on the kind of hairdresser chair. So I, I will find myself in my spare time working with the trading standards. What what teenager does that for goodness sake? None that I know. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like like working with the trading standards to spot fake alcohol. Like I will literally be like a spy to spot fake alcohol and do a lot of like. Because when I first moved to the UK, I was like, why are kids getting drunk on the streets? This is what, what was happening in, in, in Birmingham. So I was like, well, how do we change this? So I was like, let's work with the trading standards to figure that out. I would also, I, set, I helped set up the Dry January campaign with Alcohol Concern back then. I was a proxy shareholder at McDonald's. when my, So if you remember the days when McDonald's, the, the food was so unethical. <laughs> <laughs> but unethical in what well, sense? <laughs> in the sense that it was so... Do you not remember when the the bread and the chicken was pretty not was pretty much not really chicken
1: <laughs> I, I don't know i remember that with tesco when they had horse meat in their burgers well
0: yeah anyway we've so i was a proxy shareholder with with mcdonald's with um, a company called share action at the time i was a proxy shareholder for diageo where essentially the company would buy the shares and because i and then i would go and stand as and lobby basically a so very political child um you know, a lot of the people in, in, in the, in that kind of young activism, activism group that I was in back then were like Shantae Joseph, you know, so we were quite vocal young children mm. <laughs> back then. And I think those skills I probably transferred into that, into the, and even I I still transfer today. I was also, I was always very involved with like entrepreneurial activities at school, debating activities at school. And so that shaped me into being able to be able to kind of. I guess, persuade people without without trying.
1: Yeah, yeah. They say, I've even forgotten the saying, so mm-hmm. I might even butcher it a bit. But then the, oh, I don't know the saying, but basically I'm just going to really paraphrase it. Mm-hmm. Something along the lines of whatever you can do very effortlessly and yes. the things are very easy to you, the things that you should pursue, pursue your business. Mm-hmm. And it's like you tapped into that very early mm-hmm. so you're like okay the women like to talk to me and maybe i'm a mm-hmm. good listener here yeah, let's scale that now mm-hmm. and then you put your event on but it's the thing that came eas- easiest to you what came easiest to you at that point mm-hmm. in time mm-hmm. you've scaled that and turned that to a business and that's um i think is very key and i'm getting a few lessons from yourself as well and also mm-hmm. that that tenacious activity that mm-hmm. tenacious aspect and also the fact that you don't have to be an expert you don't have to learn it all mm-hmm. you don't you just spot the problem mm-hmm. And get to work. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, probably over time, you're probably going to iterate and change, anyways. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But you you start. You don't have to spend five years now to learn how to code and mm-hmm. learn technology before putting on your first event. Because mm-hmm. again, you'll probably change it anyways after mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm getting so far from your journey. Mm-hmm. You bootstrapped mm-hmm. your business mm-hmm. <laughs> thus far, anyways. You've bootstrapped mm-hmm. until uh, to the level you are now, until seven figure business. Mm-hmm. In this world, in this economy, mm-hmm. I mean, the things that get the things that we see, the things that get the eyes are those big billboards we see in Piccadilly Mm -hmm. Circus, Mm -hmm. massive social media campaigns is what people see is what a lot of people probably aspire to Mm -hmm. for their business, for their brand. Mm -hmm. You've gone in a different direction. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether you have turned down investment or if you had the opportunity to take it or not, but Mm -hmm. I guess that's not necessarily the point. It's more so that you've gone in a different direction and Mm -hmm. scaled and shown that you can scale without massive amounts of outside investment Mm -hmm. to build a viable seven-figure business. Mm Do you what do you think has made? It's probably so broad of a question, even actually. But in terms of bootstrapping in particular, mm. do you think that there's a particular strategy or something that's made your bootstrapping journey as successful as it can has been?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's it's really so. One thing my my late dad used to always say to me was, if you can solve somebody's problem, they would hand you. If you can solve somebody's problem so well they would literally be dying to pay you, right? Um, and like, there's so many nuances when it comes to building solutions anyway. And I don't, I, I wouldn't want to sit here and say, oh, everybody needs to bootstrap. No, like that's not my, that's not my, um, Your advice. my advice per se. But I think f- for me so far, bootstrapping is a lot harder now. <laughs> 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 you think that, oh yeah, like, Seven-figure business sure is not hard. It's a lot harder now. So actually, um, I am. I am. I have. Exp- I have been approached by investors. I have had offers, and I've turned a lot of them down because I'm trying to figure out what the right funding solution. I figured out what the right funding solution would be for the for the two different businesses. But um, my strategy was really about identifying the problem. Ah, this is a solution in this in this way. Okay, cool. Let's learn from that solution and let's continue to leverage off each solution. Mm. So for example, if you see from the hair, one client is probably worth 70 pounds. <laughs> I don't mm. know. I'm just trying to remember how much I was charging <laughs> my thing. Yeah. Leverage that into a, a an event that, it was, although it wasn't really a moneymaker, it probably cost me, I don't know. Th- I think the first event was 1,600. Imagine. Wow so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that will never happen to debt. Um and then like you know, then you could go all the way to my 27k debts <laughs> of that event Um but then you then go, all oh, right, okay, that's not oh wow, like okay, 27k de- um, debt um that's events. Okay. Um we had a coding class. There was an opportunity. That's interesting. Okay now six figures. Do you understand? So it was kind of like the strategy of re-listening. I think active listening to the problems of your users, especially, I mean, with a business like mine, it was like my users couldn't pay or it's not like they couldn't pay. The, the, the willingness and the ability to pay was very like skewed or should I say. So some people were willing, but they were not able. Some people were able, but may, may not be willing. So, okay, who come out, who, who is, this also solving a problem for so it's finding those people and for my case has been government and corporate so far and so it's kind of like even leveraging off of that so i was able to leverage off of those different steps and then even till today i still leverage off the <laughs> the last contract oh wow mm. this is the last contract that we this we're on this contract at the moment as you can see and because we're a supplier you're the buyer as you can see, these are the problems that we are both facing in this contract. So, for example, it's solving this problem, but you can also see that this is not the tr- it's not the full solution. Let's leverage that again. Mm. So, I that's that's the strategy that I've taken, leveraging each opportunity as much as I can. And and to be honest, sometimes it's not always leveraging with the same people. Sometimes we think we need to. So, you would see that I didn't leverage with the the lady that sat in my chair <laughs> to get to get to six figures i used the lady that sat in my chair to then leverage to the next person that i thought could keep solving that problem but what my focus on my goal is about how do we truly upskill um and essentially bring a balance to building technologies so i think about the big picture and i think about how do i leverage the current things that i have already in my hands to move things forward and even with funding as well i so because because I, I operate in the in the investment scene as an angel investor and i speak to a lot of founders and i try my best to not put an investor hat on i come as like a business partner should i say so a lot of the people that i speak to and some of some people who i write checks checks to, um and there's this narrative of all oh, like um you know you've had a hundred calls and one commitment that's really good I don't think that's good I feel like me personally I feel like that is a waste of my time but then that works for somebody else and so it's mm. kind of like just knowing what your big vision is and what your focus is so even like um, I was I was raising for new group when I, when I said you know what I need to scale this to the next level I want mm. to reach 1 million that was, that was my big goal I want to be able to upscale 1 million people to have technology skills all manner of technology skills by 2030 i cannot do this here with Mm. this and so i built a road roadmap for it and i said definitely gonna need external finance for this Mm. um and i decided you know let's just go and explore this vc route and i realized that the dna of the vc wasn't right for the dna of the vision of new group Mm. because vc wants you to focus on maybe one thing and then expand so expand out so i'm trying to build a legacy empire but a VC just wants to, you to exit, right? Um, mm, mm. Although I did end up getting some commitments, I, I I got up to about 750K commitment. I turned it down because it wasn't the right fit for me at that time. Um, and what So what I then ended up going down the route of was patient debt, um, an impact investment, which is going to give me even more money, but I'm not giving away any equity. Mm. In my education business, for example. So it's literally just taking on the journey and also being educated about what journey you should take and almost building the, the road map backwards. Um, so um, I believe you can bootstrap to the end, mm. but you need to be really willing to be literally challenged mentally. It's really tough. Um, I also think that for me, I want to raise this patient debt and I'm hoping I don't want to have to raise it ever again. For my education business at least. With the beta yeah. business, I, I I do want to raise VC for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. All these different funding options. Yes, exactly. Patient what's patient debt? Hmm.
0: Patient debt is basically it's very much compatible to impact impact based type stuff. Um, it's basically, um, I give you money right now. Um, let's say I give you £200,000, you agree with me, it can be a convertible note in like commercial terms, or it can be, okay, I'm going to take X percentage of your profit um, when you make it for the next 12 years Till so you pay off um, the money plus an interest.
1: Understood. Yeah. I see. Which I see. is really good. Yeah, no, sounds sounds mm. really good, actually. That's um, not really a funding option. That, not that I've it's spent time know, looking but... into fundraising that, but I haven't I've haven't heard anyone talk about it, basically. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people talk about There's a lot of emphasis on VC funding, actually. Exactly. So you hear a lot about that, but I haven't heard anybody talk about patient debt, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with that, the Diversity VC report. Yes. So they released a new one recently. Mm-hmm. I haven't read it, so I don't know the exact figures off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But the one, the first report that was covering the period from 2009 to 2019... This famously quoted that zero point zero two percent of of all VC funding went to black women, mm-hmm. which equated to one black woman in the UK yeah. raising over one million pounds, and mm-hmm. then I think there was like seven, eight that raised smaller ticket sizes of less than one million. Mm-hmm. The numbers have improved <clears throat> very slightly in the latest report, but I can't, I haven't read it, so I don't know the exact numbers. But mm-hmm. c- clearly, there's still disparity there. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you when you was. Looking into potentially going down that VC funding route, you was getting some commitment. You've got up to, what seven hundred fifty k. What What do you think? Do you How do you think you were successful in that? What was it about you and how you present yourself?
0: Um, there's two things I found and so, and found from myself, and also when I observe other founders, how what I found in those founders as well. Um, with myself, I was already building something. I wasn't waiting for somebody to give me money to build it right? Um, so when I was going into those VC calls, I said, okay, we started off, we've run in boot camps, we've trained hundreds of black women to be able to um, be upskilled. And 80% of them have gotten into these companies. These are the types of money that we're commanding already. This is the. these are basically, this is our traction, right? Now we don't want to continue to go down this, this um, we want to build a SaaS model on top of our our normal contract model um to enable us to scale further. And here is the um the wireframe of the EdTech platform. And I will literally email them and say, this is the progress of how we went for black and white. Last week you, you met me and it was black and white. Now it's now it's now in high fidelity mode and now we're building. Now we're in beta state. So I'm I'm literally taking them on that journey. So they so they know that I'm committed to this and they followed my journey and think that willing I think That, 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 like, um, tenacity to continue to build. And what you find is that when you show, when you, um, when you as a founder show that tenacity and you show that seriousness, you find that people will just open up crazy doors ajar for you because they're like, wow, I'm proud to say that I'm associated with this person. So I need to introduce you to this person and this person and this person. Mm. Um, and I found that that was the case. Now, some VCs did tell me, like, wow, you've built a great thing, but. You need to finish the product first because we wanna we wanna invest in SaaS. We don't wanna invest in contract models and so on and so forth. I, as I said, I got to the last conversation, and like people were, um the investors were very impressed of the conversations I had already been having, regardless of the barriers that I may face. And I'm somebody that I, I understand the barriers, but I don't let it affect me. So mm. that's that's I think that's number one. When I've from an investor perspective, when I look at people like people that come what I find and again this might be I still need to go into a deeper what I found is that because I've invested in African startups what I found with African startups versus maybe black 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 um start- startups based in the u k is that African startups have a little bit have a, a stronger level of tenacity than maybe black British startups mm. maybe because there's no like literally there's no option. <laughs> there's no <other. laughs> You've got to build, right? We just have to make we it work. We just have to make it, because guess what? A bunch of people are waiting for us to make this work, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot more hunger there. And I'm attracted to that more. I'm attracted to hunger than like, maybe like, I feel like there's a lot of talk for me in the Black British space where it's kind of like, we're still talking about the problem about, but why don't we just make it work? Yeah. so that no one can ignore us is the way i kind of see it right um so from an investor perspective when i've invested i'm like wow there's a clear difference here and i don't i've not invested in too many tickets too many people for me to be able to say this is exactly the picture but from from observation so far i've noticed that the disparity is quite is quite different but then there's a different conversation about why is african african startups not getting funded then as well you know um mm. so that's 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 the second point but then the, the the point of vc funding i think that is so it's unpacked there's a lot of unpacking to do first of all we need a whole education piece on on this on making black businesses understand what type of business are you actually building mm right and that's something a lot of our white counterparts know exactly what because they know they know the game a bit more than us they've been educated maybe by family members or friends or networks that we're still also still trying to figure out so am i trying to build a legacy business in the sense that i'm not trying to sell this business i'm passing it on to generations ahead of me or am i trying to exit by through a sale through an ipo um you know what type of business are you really building because then A VC back, a VC backable business is not one for a legacy business. What we find is a lot of black businesses are actually legacy businesses, which are not bad things, by the way. Mm. It just takes a different type of funding. Those types of, those types of businesses require probably debt, require grant. But then again, there's also another kettle of fish with accessing debt because in order for you to access debt, you need collateral for most, most times. How many of us really can, how many of us can boast of of assets that we can that we can use as collateral? Not many of us can do that. So it's very layered. And I think I don't want us to just look at that statistic. It's, of course, it's shocking because there are even within the community there are some people who have very specific understanding of I'm trying to raise for a VC backable business, but still not being funded for some reason. You know, i was speaking to a woman that I'm going to potentially be invested in investing in. Um, she basically wrote a, a debt for her husband, a, her partner. She wrote his data room. She did all of the back, back end work. Mm. He was raising a series A round. I can't remember how much he was raising. Versus her, she did the same thing. She, her husband was able to close very quickly, but she wasn't able to receive one penny. Why is that? We don't know. <laughs> I mean, because... The skill she's able to exercise all of her skills with her her partner's business, so you could say that is bias. Does that make sense? Like,
1: yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I just wondering why not, if, if
0: I mean, you could just put it down to bias.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So we need more females, women, yeah, in, for sure. in that space. To be honest, because for example, today when I when I was speaking to her today, like it's I I've, bec- I've become like a catalyst. Although I'm not I'm not going to be the person that's going to write the biggest check. I've become a catalyst. Of hope, first of all, and of like, aside from hope, I've been, a, I've become a voice to be able to then unlock other, those other VCs that I'm, I happen to be connected to, or not just VCs, also angels as well, to essentially get her funded. But if I didn't, if I decided to just be comfortable with being a founder, mm. she, she would have never gotten funded. So, yes, we, yes, we as Black people, we need to understand our. What business model or what business we're building, but also we can't ignore the bias that exists. Um, it's more about trust, isn't it? Yeah. People invest in who they trust in. And
1: yeah, 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 yeah. So. There's a lot of societal issues that need to be mm-hmm. sorted out because uh-huh. there's a couple of things that come into mind. Mm-hmm. There's um, some stats, and there's, I've read a lot of reports on Black British businesses. Mm-hmm. There's a report that is fairly recent, I can't remember exactly when couple years maybe one to four years old or something like that basically mm-hmm. but it talks about the motivation mm-hmm. behind um, entrepreneurs starting their businesses and it's split mm-hmm. by ethnicity mm-hmm. black entrepreneurs in the uk usually i think that it was way higher than other groups basically mm-hmm. are motivated to start businesses for some kind of a community or societal cause yeah. mm-hmm. very generally speaking mm-hmm. so of course that's one thing to keep in mind if you're mm-hmm. motivated by something different like you're saying the way you approach because mm-hmm. a lot of people probably start businesses and maybe don't don't even think about this. They don't even think about what do I want to do with this. Do mm-hmm. I want it to be a legacy? Do I wanna raise? Do I wanna exit? Do I want XYZ? Because that's mm-hmm. gonna impact the types of decisions and maybe the types of networking and the types of things you do, like from mm-hmm. day one, that's gonna change everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: On top of that, talking about the types of funding, if someone's raising um not raising running a business that they want to keep as a legacy business, mm-hmm. then different types of funding, mm-hmm. but then collateral. Mm-hmm. Then it goes back to like societal issues. Mm-hmm the uh, like wealth gaps are a real thing Mm -hmm. so a lot of black families in the uk Mm -hmm. black african black caribbean whatever when you look at the wealth gaps in Mm -hmm. terms of what we own that there's massive massive Mm -hmm. disparities. so Mm -hmm. even if somebody wanted that kind of debt funding Mm -hmm. you know most people haven't most black families in the uk haven't got those assets Mm -hmm. that they can use as collateral Mm -hmm. in order to go and get a bank loan or in Mm -hmm. order to get a startup loan or whatever kind of other debt funding that there is available. And those kind of, those very root systemic issues I suppose Mm. need to be looked into Mm. and resolved. There's Mm. another stat that talks about the median income of black British businesses against, against other ethnic groups. Again, the average black business in UK, the median income is 25,000. I think it Mm -hmm, is. mm -hmm. Then I think for white owned businesses, the median is 40,000. And then other groups is somewhere in between. Mm you see the disparities mm. so there's all sorts of things and mm-hmm. there's going to be reasons for that as well mm-hmm. maybe because of the way maybe it's to do with the what's it called the the motivations behind star business maybe mm-hmm. because they're more community focused and then, then they're not you know they're going to be turning turn over less money i mm-hmm. don't know maybe more needs research needs to be done maybe mm-hmm. i need to look into it a bit more but there's clear disparities and there's clear societal issues mm-hmm. behind that's underpinning some of the issues that black founders are Uh, barriers that black founders are having to overcome Mm -hmm. in order to be successful in their businesses. You've been, you've achieved a level of success and Mm -hmm. I I don't know how old you are but I can tell you're young. (laughs) (laughs) I can can tell you're young Mm -hmm. and you've achieved a level of success Mm -hmm. in your business as well. Something you talk about quite a lot or you've been talking about quite a lot in this conversation is tenacity. Mm -hmm. The African founders back home that have a level of tenacity that a lot of people over here may not have that same level of tenacity. Mm -hmm. The vibe I get from you is that you have that level of tenacity, mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, maybe it's because you've spent some time, a lot of your youth, back mm-hmm. home in Nigeria and you've come over here. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. In Have you, first of all, two questions for you. One, mm-hmm. where do you think your tenacity has come from? And two, even more importantly, have you ever gone through a period in your entrepreneurial journey where that tenacity was just rocked, where mm-hmm. you're just like, man, this is this is tough
0: (laughs) i mean i go through that every single day um where did my tenacity come from i think my my parents especially my dad parenting is is so under under (laughs) underappreciated i think parenting is, is is really important so my dad god bless his soul like he he was just he's my hero basically um Like he would tell me, he would be like he would tell me stories about how my granddad did not appreciate him going having an education, and so he would sell his shoes to be able to pay for his to be able to pay for his um education, and so he would walk (laughs) to school Mm -hmm. barefoot. Imagine walking! I think was it four miles to school barefoot? Wow! You know, from from the farm to to to. So those types of stories made me realize that wow, there is so much um, that I should be really grateful for. And nothing gets gifted to me. That was number one. But also it was my dad's drive to everything he put himself into. And he made me watch watch that process. So, for example, my dad was um, one of the people that set up, um, you know, communication channels, like telecommunication channels in, in remote villages in Nigeria. Amazing. right? So before my dad put some infrastructure in place, there was no one could communicate. Mm. And he would make me sit down next to him and write contracts. So again, that's probably how, how I know how to write bids and contracts. He'll sit me down at age seven and he would be saying, tonight we're writing the MTN contract together mm. and we have to get this, we have to do it till 4am. So I knew about, you You have to hustle. Listen, nothing comes for free. But, it, but I knew nothing came for free, but I also knew that I was I was i had all all the things that I needed, and so even today right if no matter what challenges I might be going through, I still know that I have all all that I need. I don't know, I just have that strong belief that I have all that I need, and I just need to tap into what I already have inside of me, and so my dad would write this telecommunication contract funny enough, my dad wanted me to be a computer scientist. After our fight, we had a fight about me and my dad had like an argument about becoming a doctor, and I said no. And we did a lot of negotiation back then. <laughs> and my then it was like,
1: be, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. As well. I mean,
0: which African parents? <laughs> <does it? laughs> um, back then, anyway. And then yeah. we negotiated to become a computer scientist. And his reasoning was because he just secured a massive contract between Germany and Nigeria. It was a Skype contract, Microsoft Skype at the time. Microsoft just acquired Skype, and they were going to try and do what, what Elon Musk is doing. With Star- Starlink in Africa, um, you know, he wanted to he wanted me to be like, wow, you need to be behind the brains behind the people mm-hmm. connecting. But I didn't get it th- at that point, and I was like, yo, computer science, <laughs> those are geeks, that's for boys. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it was that I caught a lot of things from my from my dad, and so I think that parenting plays a big role. So if I wonder if I was not brought up. I predominantly spend a lot of time with my dad and in boarding school in Nigeria before I moved to the UK at the age of 12, right? But I wonder if I was, I was born here, my mom was spending night time in, my mom and my parents were spending time outside of the house, doing night shifts, doing cleaning. Do you know a lot of things that a lot of our community, you know, do, I wonder whether I'll have the same type of tenacity because I didn't get enough time spent with my parents. And the thing is, It's unfortunate that a lot of our parents, when they migrate to countries like this, that no matter how qualified they are in their hometown, in their in their home country, they are almost relegated to very low skilled work that takes them, that that makes them detach away from their families, which then affects our mindset, whether we see it or not. Slowly affects our mindset. It slowly affects the level of tenacity that we put into things. It slowly affects how we, the confidence that we have in ourselves, when it comes to showing up correctly, and it, it affects, um, you know how we even take take tasks. So, parenting is so important, man. So, and that, that, I think mm. that's kind of how I got here. That's
1: yeah, yeah. And then have you had any periods in your entrepreneurial journey when you're like, oh my gosh?
0: I have that too often. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, I decided that one thing I told myself at the um at the beginning at the end of last year beginning of this year was like I am going to manage my energy better because I learned that I wasn't managing my energy good well enough because that I'll find myself like on super highs and then on super lows um so I was burnt like I, I think I was burnt out on trying to navigate you know managing a team of how many of us are there now 25 of us you know all of the and also by the way like it's not like I'm managing a team of 25 and we're doing it scrappy. I'm trying to build a proper system behind this business, right? We have systems and processes, HR systems, we've got op systems. So like trying to do that in a way that is excellent, you know, (laughs) as well as, you know, navigating business development and all of that was, was very tiring, got tiring, especially with the economic climate in 2023. And so I just really wanted to just turn off the tap. I was like, guys, (laughs) I'm sure if I put myself on the job market, I'll be snatched up, snatched up pretty quickly. Well, maybe that was quite egotistical of me to think (laughs) that, but, um, but (laughs) so I literally had all these thoughts like, you know, and then, um, um, but I realized that I needed to rest and recoup and reconsider what the vision really was about. So yes, I do have them. Um, but what, what helps me to keep going is rest. It's prayer Because I'm, listen, I could never do anything without it. Prayer, meditation, the right community. Um, And when I'm talking about community, not just the business, not just like entrepreneurship communities and business communities, but like mentors, life mentors who do life with me, who I can glean on, my siblings, my my mom, you know, like having that support system, you know, even though sometimes the, the support systems might not always be, I guess, monetary, having that support system always helps me to pick myself back up again.
1: What role has failure played in you being the person you are today? (laughs) If you would like to understand how you can use your voice to drive change, how you can craft compelling stories to move audiences, and for additional wisdom from the guests that we have on the podcast, sign up to our newsletter. Every single week, we send actionable pieces of advice to change makers like you. So if you haven't already, the sign up link for the newsletter will be in the
0: description of this episode. I mean, I I wasn't twenty seven k debt. I, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as a, yeah. <laughs> a, a as a master student who, who had no clue what the heck she was doing, um, a, a a big role man. I, I, I think I I say I say this to my team. I say we need to fill fast and fill forward, right? The, your, one of your first things to do is you need to figure out you need to figure out how do I fill this fast so I can learn quicker to know what success looks like. And i failed so many times. There's some silent failures and there's some big public failures that I've had. Um, and um, it's not all shiny. It's incredibly very tough. Um, and like, you know what entrepreneurship teaches you? It teaches you that, listen, there's no ego. Like, if you have ego, your entrepreneurship will get rid of that ego quickly. I mean, for me anyway, it has. <laughs> mm. Like, it helps get rid of the ego because you become... If you want to grow, you have to become meek and humble. And so failure has taught me about meekness and humility, you know. And that mm. helps me not just as an entrepreneur, but it helps me, at, secondly, as a woman, and thirdly, as a human being to know to love and respect and teach, treat everybody with great humility. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what it's taught me.
1: The two biggest issues that mm. Black British entrepreneurs face number one is funding. Mm. I feel like you've spoken quite a bit about funding. I've, mm-hmm. I've learned quite a bit already about funding. Mm-hmm. The second one is marketing. Mm. A lot of black entrepreneurs in the UK are bootstrapping, mm. like yourself. Mm. Not everybody has been or achieved the level of monetary success mm-hmm. as you and your team have. How have you marketed and got your got the name out there?
0: <laughs> Again, we don't have... Uh, we, okay, that is, the thing is, I always look at okay. This is what I have. I have all I need inside of me and around me. The, our marketing has not. We haven't thought. We're only just starting to really think about putting aside an actual marketing budget, right? So we we've we've done a lot of stuff organically. Um, funnily enough, especially because maybe that education business it doesn't really require a lot of marketing effort to get in front of it's, it's more kind of B2B procurement and sales. Right. Um, so, so yeah, it's just been organic, creative thinking, um, in a, in our beta business, we literally find trends and we, we literally like think about, okay, how do we make this trend interesting? So, um, for example, one, like one of my team members at a time, we had ten, 10, followers on TikTok for our beta business. And I think there was like the little miss challenge. Um, and there's also like a would you rather challenge on that people were doing at the time. And we switched it up and we made Little Miss Afro stickers. And we grew like from like 10 followers to like 12,000 followers mm. on TikTok organically because we were able to spot an opportunity. So we, so it's about like knowing like innovative ways to be creative, um, to spot opportunities and, and leverage it. I just realized that with marketing it's just about connecting with the human emotion. And we sometimes we'll fail at it. Sometimes we're really rubbish at it. Sometimes we're really fantastic at it. And I try to do, I try to connect with the human emotion in my, even my personal brand um, as well. So, yeah.
1: I agree wholeheartedly mm. with connecting with people on a human level. Yeah. Like it, it, it hits, we've all like probably sat through presentations where someone just spouting out loads of facts and figures and mm-hmm. yawning and full asleep in <laughs> the back of the presentation. Okay. But when someone now switches it up mm-hmm. and maybe they tell a personal story, saying again, mm-hmm. and it, it, all of a sudden, Paper goes down, phone goes down. Mm-hmm. You're captivated. You're listening, mm-hmm. man. They're sharing something and it's connecting with you mm-hmm. somewhere inside. And I agree 100%. And trying to, trying to do that within marketing efforts as well um, sounds really good. And mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with 100%. I read online mm-hmm. that the revenue for the group is 1.5 million.
0: <laughs> of course. Yeah. I, I read it online.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, You can update me if that's incorrect or whatever, but that's what I saw online. Mm -hmm. What do you feel? Do you feel like you've had any particular key strategy or strategies that have, because we've spoken about the marketing effort Mm -hmm. and maybe the B2B element Mm -hmm. with your business as well. But do you feel like there's any, if you had to narrow it down, maybe to one, two, three key strategies, do you feel like you've had something there that's helped you to scale the way you've scaled?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... um... That majority of that revenue, in fact, we've had a lot more revenue than that over the the last few years of operating. Um, um, that revenue mostly comes from our education business, to be honest, because we, that that is heavily business to business and business to government um, contracts. Um, so, so at that point where I think there was a whole a whole press about it, um, we were still we were still operating on the one legal entity. Now I split the entities up to truly be a group um so you could actually say that most of that most of that money probably 90 percent of that money goes to education business and 10 percent is literally on the the beauty business because there's not been that much in i would say attention on the beauty business which is what this 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 year we are really going to be focusing on how do we build up the teams or the management teams in each sector to, to be able to scale it up now strategies it's literally business to government contracts and business to business um, contracts, which takes, which is the most <laughs> grueling thing that you would have to do. If you want to do it, you have to be committed for at least three, four years of relationship building to be able to get somewhere where you feel comfortable. I'm still, I'm still, gruel- I'm still, I'm still um, grinding. Um, mm. Because just because I have a, a B2B contract today, a one year B2B contract today, after that one year, the climate could change and I could lose that. And then I could lose the relationship, the relationship goes cold. Start, you know spending so much time to build that. And one of the strategies that I learned from, cause I, I, I had like a few contracts in my, in my books. Um, and a lot of them were pilots. Right. Um, but it was like a, it was like a slow process getting us even to the pilot and then when we we're at execution phase we're focusing on execution so there was not enough breathing space to then going and then the tech space changed the recruitment space changed because a lot of the contracts are based upon recruitment and so like I that's one area that I, I failed actually mm-hmm. where actually what I should have done is done a multi-year contract and then a one-year pilot with a break if it doesn't if it doesn't work for you then we stop it if it works for you then we have a three four-year contract then it would have then I wouldn't probably have to like work so hard and like building those relationship back up. So if anyone wants to do not go down that very tough B2B and B2G route, you need to be making sure that you're building relationships and especially let's say you're, you are working a nine to five and especially if you're working a nine to five in the corporate space and you want to get, you want the, you want, you know, clients in the corporate space, you need to be building that relationship from now so that by the time you're ready to come out, you know, you're literally ready to go. I mean, I, I I met a woman today who her business, her business is turning over 40 million pounds. She set up just before the pandemic, but she had to invest 500K into her own business. She had to sell her house, you know, to wow. be able to do it. Right. Because it's going to, it takes, it takes two years to, <laughs> to build a relationship before you even get through the door. So that's that's something like free strategy there that I like to put, I put out there.
1: If you were to start all over again, yeah, what if anything would you do differently?
0: I wouldn't bundle up the two businesses into one legal entity. I wouldn't I wouldn't position them in one legal entity. Um, that's number one. Number two, I would set up a management team with experts. Because remember, I started doing hair. <laughs> I didn't no. know I was going to do all of this. <laughs> I thought I was going to become a, the a president of Nigeria. That's literally <laughs> what I thought I was going to do. Um, but anyway, like I would set up a management team who had expertise in key areas that I wanted to um, straight off the back um, and just remain the group CEO, which is what I'm, I'm essentially doing right now. It's a lot harder doing it now because now I have a responsi- I have responsibilities of operating the business, in terms of staff operations, but also operating a business to please my clients. So it's harder to do that foundational work whilst also doing that. So you almost, you know, do you know what I mean? So, mm. um, so I I would, that's what I would do differently. Um, You know, if I was to start all over again.
1: What advice would you give to someone else who's wanting to go down the same entrepreneurial route who wants to achieve a level of success, perhaps another black woman actually, mm-hmm. who's facing these barriers and hurdles and, sees the statistics might be daunted by looking at those these VC fund numbers and all that kind of thing. Mm. But they want to be successful in this world. What would what do you tell what them? Success,
0: yeah, it depends on what success is to you. I mean the dial of success changes as we experience what success feels what success feels like. So you hear one point five million revenue and you think, wow, successful. I don't feel I feel I felt more successful when we were six figures than I feel successful now because I was doing things that I enjoyed and brings me life then than now. So th- it depends on what success looks like. So, and why, why do I, why do I, why did I feel successful then? It's because I felt like I was visioning more. I'm still visioning now. People that know me probably thinking you're crazy. Like you are still a visionary. Like you're still visioning. But like, I felt like I had more freedom to vision better than without some constraints that I maybe have now. Um, But I was just say really 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 define your vision really know what you're trying to achieve be tenacious about it don't stop like heck you know I I had so many I've had so many rejections goodness gracious um the, I think I was looking at the amount of calls I had sometime in 2019 I think I had like literally 500 calls and then literally two clients closed oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean how like, imagine going into sales calls and, you know, back to back and you're just getting rejection upon rejection. Like, you've got to really toughen up, get a tough skin. And I think a lot of the people in my team, who <clears throat> work for me, have learned, wow, this this game is not that easy. You see the, the shiny the shiny headlines and you think, wow, I want to be part. No, but it's actually tough. So you've got to really make sure that you are ready for that. And the mindset that, that comes with that is literally like, you need to you need to be a little bit delusional and crazy i i feel like that's a necessary condiment um and i think i think also be also willing to be also willing to change the dial of success as well and know what works for you and what doesn't work for you so if i had restarted a new group today um i would be a lot more clear i'll be a lot clearer exactly what is that I want to achieve. And to be honest, I am clearer now. Like one of my big goals is I want Neo my Neo Labs, the education business, to t- train 1 million people globally and to get them from zero to C-suite. That's, that's a, a very simple goal. And I want to have at least 250 million pounds revenue in the next five years. That's a big goal. <clears throat> and I'm not moving the dial on that. I'm not moving the dial on that, right? Um, and so everything I do, I literally... I literally focus on the journey towards that, and everything else is a distraction. Um, So it's just redefining what those goals are and then thinking about what are the KPIs to get there.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Have you got any final words for us?
0: Um, It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed this conversation. Um, Final words. I think you can, I think anybody can do whatever they want to do. <laughs> That's just it, really. You can do whatever you want to do. What is really stopping you is fear. It's not having the right networks. It's To be honest, I don't even think it's not having the right networks, you know. I think it's fear, um, you know, at the root of it all. Fear and also confidence and presenting yourself in a way that solves like real life problems for whether it's businesses or individuals um so yeah you can do it basically is my it's my takeaway from today
1: perfect thank you so much value
0: packed <laughs> 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 I, I learned a lot man value packed
1: you've yeah. had an amazing journey as well so. thank you thank you i really appreciate you coming down today no
0: worries no worries
1: and that's that so thank you, thank you for tuning in we had Oyin, the founder of the neo group on a podcast and for now people we're out thank you